0: Most of us have dealt with health insurance headaches, out-of-network doctors, crazy benefit booklets, bills you thought were covered. Now imagine double that pain, enrolling in two insurance programs, two ID cards, two sets of rules with almost no help. That's the reality facing some of the poorest and sickest people in the U.S., Known often as duels, they must navigate both Medicare and Medicaid.
1: People understandably think, well, if I have one insurance, that's good. If I have two insurances, that must be better, (laughs) like
0: not necessarily. Today, what life is like for the 12 million people stuck in this bureaucratic morass and how lawmakers in Washington could chart a better path forward from the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania. I'm Dan Gorenstein, this is Tradeoffs.
2: So I'm Salima, I'm 33, I live in the Bronx. And what is your condition, situation? I'm Spina
3: Vecina.
2: I'm Rochelle Render, I'm 50 years old, I'm the mom of Salima, yeah, I'm a supporter of her endeavors and her aspirations.
0: Salima Render-Hornsby is on the soft-spoken side, but compared to her mom, Rochelle, everyone is soft-spoken.
2: She's back. I'm back. The mother. I don't know if she spoke of because I was doing something else, but how her chair affects her confidence in dating. Turn it back on. So let's talk about that. <laughs>
0: Rochelle is loud because she can't afford to be quiet. Ever since Salima was born with spina bifida, a condition that affects the spinal cord and limits Salima's use of her legs, Rochelle has had to speak up, pushing to make sure her daughter gets what she needs from school, from the city, from the healthcare system. Salima is one of the 12.5 million people in America who must navigate both of the country's biggest health insurance programs, Medicare and Medicaid, to get the care they need. People end up in this position because they're low-income and either disabled or over 65. Some people are all three. You might think these two programs would work together to give this vulnerable population, about half of whom are people of color, more help, better benefits. But that's just not the reality. Instead, Medicare and Medicaid often clash and trap people with few resources in a maze of rules.
2: We are very strong people for having to deal with this. Anybody that gets through this process is blessed because it's a lot.
0: Each program's a behemoth in its own right. Medicare, the program for older adults and people with disabilities, tends to kick in first, picks up the more urgent medical stuff, surgeries, hospital visits, while Medicaid, the program for people with low incomes, brings up the rear, covers the other more long-term things, like regular help at home, a long stay in a nursing facility. But who covers what gets complicated fast. And it's easy for patients like Salima to get exasperated.
2: Medicaid and Medicare and the doctors need to get it together. I shouldn't have to jump in the middle of saying, oh yeah, I need this, this, and this, after I've already went through that step of explaining what I need. Why do I have to keep repeating myself, saying I need this, I need this, until I'm blue in the face.
0: Salima and Rochelle's latest journey into this bureaucratic jungle is their most important yet because it's key to achieving a dream both women share. Salima getting her own place.
2: She's 33 and she's not out there running with the wolves yet. I need her to go running. (laughs) All right, because this old fox herself need to do some other things.
0: Rochelle likes to joke, but she also knows what independence means to her daughter. Like every young adult, Salima wants to find her people, her place in the world. She works hard, takes classes, is making plans for a career as a cosmetologist, one who specializes in caring for people with skin sensitivities like she has. But she needs her health insurance to do its part and approve her request for a new wheelchair. For about seven years, Salima has had this hulking motorized chair. And what do I call it? You didn't name it. Oh, I called it a
2: car. What was it? Mercedes? Oh, no. No, Maserati. Cadillac. Cadillac.
0: The Cadillac. A fitting name for a chair that costs $20,000. And it's the kind of big boat someone a lot older and more frail than Salima should be driving it makes her self-conscious.
2: A more compact chair would make my um, self-esteem better because like if it's too big and clunky, people just automatically, oh yeah, you're old or things like that.
0: Despite its shortcomings, Salima says she could count on the Cadillac to get her where she needed to go until the summer of 2019.
2: I was on my way to an appointment and The chair stopped in the middle of the road.
0: Imagine the scene. Cars, taxis, speeding by. The Cadillac busted.
2: I could not move. And there was nobody to um, help me.
0: (laughs) It was terrifying, but Salima made do during the pandemic. But by early 2022, she needed something new.
1: There you go, a little fine-tuning.
0: Salima and her mom came here.
1: Perfect. I'm going to do one more and make a couple of your middle straps even a little tighter. Welcome to Jiffy Lube at ICS.
0: Jean Minkle is Senior Vice President of Rehab and Mobility Services at ICS, or Independent Care System.
1: And how does that That feel? That feels great.
0: The nonprofit helps keep many people with disabilities in New York City living the lives they want. And they know, of course, a working, well-fitted wheelchair is as essential to independence as the air we breathe. If you can't get out your door, there are these very,
1: very profound interruptions, and that affects people on a daily basis.
0: Jean's team helped Salima test new chairs, talked about what she'd need to live life without Rochelle around. Together, they landed on a much lighter, more nimble chair that Salima could push herself with a kind of booster wheel on the back if she needed a rest or some extra oomph. Salima could start to taste her new freedom.
2: With that chair, I can get a job. I could travel. I could be myself. And experience life as a whole person.
0: Jean's team was quick to warn Salima, this could take some time. I have on
1: occasion said to somebody, welcome to conception. In nine months, if things go well, your baby will be available (laughs) for delivery.
0: This was not Salima and Rochelle's first health insurance rodeo. They crossed every T, dotted every I, spent weeks going to appointments across the city. In late June, five months after visiting ICS to test drive different chairs, the first letter arrived. It was from Medicare.
2: I was a little bit in shock because I don't, I can't understand why you would deny me my way I get around. So you're telling me you're denying me my legs?
0: The chair request was flat out rejected.
2: I felt like they were taking away my liberty to move and I was like how dare they make a decision when they don't live in my body Saliba doesn't curse at me often we don't have that relationship but she said mommy look at this shit (laughs) I said what I said what she was like they denied me I was like what the hell I said give me that letter You know, I was like, call ICS. we definitely doing something.
0: Jean Minko at ICS basically expected this first denial. It wasn't her first rodeo either. In fact, she was glad to get the denial over with. See, what Jean knew that Salima was just learning was that Medicare only pays for equipment that people need to get around inside their homes not outside. Medicaid, on the other hand, does cover a person's outside-the-home mobility needs, including a chair tough enough to traverse New York City streets. But Medicaid's rules also say Salima's team has to try billing Medicare first, even when there's virtually zero chance Medicare will cover the thing. Sure, it sounds like the plot to a Kafka story, but Gene says this is just another example of how these two programs combine to make life harder for the duly eligible.
1: It puts a big burden of responsibility on people that don't have the luxury of understanding the bureaucracies, number one, and don't have a lot of time given that everything in their lives takes more time.
0: About one in three duly eligible people have a serious mental illness. Almost half live alone or in an institution, and nearly 9 out of 10 live on less than $20,000 a year. Gene says very often the first denial is the end of the story for most duels. In Salima's case, Gene assigned a full-time employee to chase down the necessary paperwork. They immediately sent that first denial off to Medicaid to prove to them that Medicare wasn't going to pick up the bill and it was time for Medicaid to step in. But just a few weeks later, the insurance company that manages Salima's Medicaid came back with a big N.O., Request denied. The team at ICS vowed to keep fighting, but the delays have taken their toll on Salima. With Salima's Cadillac breaking down, she's been stuck in an inadequate backup chair that Rochelle bought off of Amazon for $1,000.
2: It gets me from point A to point B, but it also gives me problems.
0: Pressure ulcers. Back aches. the rejections by both of her insurers have left Salima in pain. For example, suffering through rides in city transit vans. Every
2: single bump, it feels like your nerves are like smushed together and crushing like your bones. So everything is just out of whack by the time I get home.
0: living like this has forced Salima to keep asking, is this trip outside my house worth the hurt? Will my chair break down? The family has mustered up all of their resources, countless hours, pages of paperwork, their own money, all to meet a need that seems so obvious, so critical to Salima's ability to be a healthy, productive member of society. And yet, 18 months and three denial letters later, They're still waiting for a chair. After the break, a bipartisan bill targets this Byzantine system, and Salima gets a final verdict.
4: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well
0: Welcome back. Stories like Salima's have caught the attention of at least a handful of lawmakers in Washington. Senior producer Leslie Walker has spent the last few weeks talking with Hill insiders, researchers, and advocates about some of the policies being considered. Leslie, so glad you're here.
3: Thanks, Dan. Good to be here.
0: So before we get into any solutions, let's define the problem. What's the fundamental issue, Leslie, that policymakers are trying to solve?
3: Well, I think Salima's experience sums it up pretty well here. It's been more than a year, multiple rounds of appeals with insurers. She still doesn't have one of the few things she absolutely needs to keep her health and her everyday life going. Somehow, Dan, for duly eligible folks, these two systems, Medicare and Medicaid, have come together to make a whole that is, in fact, worse than the sum of its parts. And that's despite the country spending nearly $450. Billion dollars a year on this group of people.
0: Four hundred and fifty billion dollars. I-, I can see why this situation has gotten Congress's attention. Red tape run amok, racial and social injustices, people with not one but two insurance programs still not getting what they need. Yeah,
3: there's definitely no shortage of bones to pick here. What's much harder, where you start to hear the crickets chirp, is finding a solution.
0: And and why is that, Leslie? I mean, there's so much to fix.
3: I know. But for starters, Dan, the federal government can only do so much. One of the two big programs, Medicaid, is in reality mostly run by states and territories. They set a lot of the rules, who's eligible for what, and pay a good chunk of the bills.
0: So in other words, Leslie, there's not one dual situation to fix. It's like they're 50.
3: Exactly. And on top of that, there are these three other big decisions that any serious legislation on this issue is going to have to grapple with. Let's call them the three M's. Models, members, money.
0: Marvelous. So (laughs) let's get cracking. What's the tough choice facing lawmakers when it comes to that first M, models?
3: Well, it's a question I think supermodel Tyra Banks put pretty well back in the early 2000s. Who will be America's next top model?
0: I got to say, I do not know this show.
3: (laughs) Can't say I thought you would. (laughs) Anyway, it might surprise you, Dan, but people have actually been trying to make care simpler and better for Duels as far back as the 1990s. There are a few different models out there. I won't bore you with the weeds of how each one works, but they're all basically trying to help Duels get to the same place. A single insurance plan, one plan managing all of a person's care.
0: The idea that it would be more seamless, more coordinated, a better way to get people from point A to point B faster and more smoothly.
3: That's right. But here's the problem. I talked to Harvard researcher Jose Figueroa, and he said we really have no idea which, if any, of these models works best. The availability of data to understand if and how these programs work is just not out there. The other thing about these models which a lot of people, by the way, call integrated care plans, is even though many have been around a while, they're really not getting much traction. Only about one in 10 duels is in a truly integrated plan. Everyone else is still going at these two systems alone.
0: So I imagine the question for lawmakers here is, do you zero in on one of these plans, like try to supercharge it with more policy power behind it? Or do you let All of them keep going while we wait for more evidence to come in.
3: Right. Or even door number three. Do you figure all these models have failed to catch on for one reason or another? So let's build something better from scratch.
0: Got it. Okay. So that's the model conundrum. What's the puzzle with your second M, members?
3: This one's kept health economists busy for a very long time, Dan. And the question is... How much choice should duly eligible people, who insurers call members, have when it comes time to pick their plans? For an individual
1: to have to scroll through three or four or ten pages of health plans and find the one that makes the most sense for them, that's not choice. That's paralyzing.
3: Right now, Allison Reiser with the consulting group ATI Advisory told me that some duly eligible folks have more than 100 different plans to choose from.
0: Are you kidding? 100?
3: 100. And Allison and other experts I talked to believe that overwhelming amount of choice is one big reason why so few duels are enrolled in these more integrated plans we were just talking about.
0: Sure. And and Leslie, this really is one of those quintessential health policy questions. Comes up every single enrollment season, it seems like. The case for having so many plans, so much choice, is that it's hard to design just a handful of plans that work well for everyone. But you leave people with all these options, and research shows people often end up making a poor choice They pick plans that cost more and can even harm their health.
3: That's right, Dan. I mean it is a real dilemma and both sides of that coin are all the more true for this population. Right? Duels situations are often more complex than the average person's and that could make having more choices helpful or harmful.
0: Perennial challenges.
3: Indeed. Now one fix Allison Riser floated here, Dan, is this idea of setting a federal floor, some basic requirements around integration and coordination that every insurer would have to meet in order to offer their plans to duels.
0: Uh, I see. So a kind of like guarantee that no matter where you live or what plan you pick, you're going to get more help than most people do today. Exactly. All right. So that leaves us with our last M, Leslie, money. What is the big question here?
3: So this one's a bit different. It's less a question of what the government should do, but rather how they should do it. What they should do with the money, most people I spoke to agreed, is make it easier for dollars to flow between the Medicare and Medicaid programs. In other words, have these integrated care plans get a single pot of money, basically, to spend on each of their members.
0: Mm, one person, one pot of money, that sounds like common sense and would have made uh, Salima's situation a lot simpler, right?
3: Totally. I mean, if Salima was in one of these plans and that plan agreed that her getting a new wheelchair was good for her health, they could just pay for it. They wouldn't have to chase down ridiculous denials, comply with two sets of rules tied to two separate pots of money.
0: Now, you said the sticking point here, Leslie, is not whether to make it easier for the money to move, but how to get that money to move. What's the deal?
3: Well, anytime you give insurers more control over more money... There's always room for abuse. So oversight's a real concern here. And then there are some extremely wonky but very important questions about how exactly you'd have to change the law to free up all this money without triggering a whole mess of unintended consequences that could end up hurting the people you're trying to help.
0: (laughs) Sounds like we should leave those details up to the legislative staffers to iron out over cold dominoes in some sad Senate basement.
3: Totally fine with me.
0: Uh, And speaking of these legislative staffers, Leslie, we said at the start that there is some momentum. What's the latest? Are there any bills that actually would tackle all three of the M's that you laid out?
3: So there were a handful of bipartisan bills that moved in that direction in 2022. And there's one floating around the Senate now that goes a bit further. It's led by Republican Bill Cassidy and supported by Dems like Tim Warner and Tom Carper. It's still super early draft stages, but as of right now, it does actually seem like it would touch on all three M's.
0: Fair enough. Let's keep our eye on that legislation.
3: For sure. And I should add, Dan, that even if that bill dies, the Biden administration has been chipping away here. Maybe the most important thing they've done, pushed states to offer more of these integrated options. That said, there's a lot more they could do.
0: so let's see, I'm curious, if you you had to sum this up, it sounds like you'd say, and this is a question, that people are cautiously optimistic that we'll continue to see some movement.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, whether it's through Congress or the administration, most people I spoke to were optimistic with a very heavy dose of caution, I'd say, that we'll at least see some incremental progress here.
0: Leslie Walker, thank you for your reporting on this story.
3: My pleasure, Dan.
0: Salima Render-Hornsby is also, finally, feeling like things are headed in a positive direction. Just last month, a year and a half after first seeing ICS about a new wheelchair, her Medicaid insurance plan approved the request.
2: I was I was excited. I was, I was just... I jumped. I, w- I got really happy. And... A little bit relieved. It's less stress on me that I don't have to think about that after all the other stuff I have to think about.
0: Gene Minkle's team at ICS had fired their last shot, filed for a hearing with the State Department of Health to review the Medicaid plan's earlier denial. Not long after, the plan decided on its own to reconsider Salima's request She did have to redo all of her paperwork, and it could still take weeks, even months, for the chair to show up. But Salima has circled a wheels-down date that she's pulling for, October 17th, her birthday.
2: That's like a hope, because I have big plans for my birthday, so...
0: All this mental math the last 18 months, weighing the risks of going out, sacrificing her joy for the sake of her safety, it's exhausted Salima. She says she's ready to do a different kind of gambling.
2: I'm going to Vegas. (laughs) A little bit of gambling, a little bit of sightseeing. I want to go see the Hoover Dam and and, um, the Grand Canyon.
0: Salima knows hiccups are still possible, even likely, but... She's cautiously optimistic. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Companies are facing a big dilemma. Paying for the new popular obesity drugs without breaking the bank. Employers are walking a tightrope. I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'm not afraid to try something that doesn't work. And I'm not afraid to own it the dawn of treating obesity as a disease, next time on Trade-Offs.
5: If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about it, friend, colleague, family member. Better still, leave a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us, be that Spotify, YouTube, NPR One, wherever you listen. The Trade-Offs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editors Kate Cahan and Deborah Franklin, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, research reporter Soleil Shaw, with help from Kate CP, Kelly Osmondson, and Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Trade-Offs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions at Epidemic Sound. Tradeoff's coverage of complex care is supported in part by Arnold Ventures. Special thanks to Chris Engelhart, Judy Fader, and Brandon Wilson. Additional thanks to Amber Christ, Kenton Johnston, and Eric Roberts. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Erica Brown, Mary Beth Gilbert, and the Mark and Jessica Zitter Charitable Fund. Our media partner is Effects Public Media, based at WFYI. TradeOffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Sozose Foundation, California Healthcare Foundation, Just Trust, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of TradeOffs staff, advisors, or funders.